This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by The Witness, a Black Christian Collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23. Follow at your own risk. Y'all know what time it is. And joining me, as always, is the president of The Witness, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Blue Check Verified himself, Jamar Tisby. What's going on, brother? Man, I'm charged up. Man, I'm amped, bro. We back. We back. We back. It's been like a month. It's been like a month since we put out an episode, right? I don't know if anybody missed us, but I know I missed you and being on the mic and having these conversations. Bro, we done seen each other like every week since we've been, <laughs> uh, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> That's good Yo, stuff. Yo, after, listen, it's been, a, it's been a, a brief hiatus. It's been a brief hiatus, a bit of a break that we've taken for a couple of different reasons. Number one, because it's that time of year, but also number two- because, bruh, we, we got put in iTunes jail. Man. Got put in jail, man. Drama. It's been nuts, bro. I, I referenced it at the Courageous Conversation in Chicago. And then Bo has put out some statements as well. But just want to give you guys a, a brief update on where we're at. We will be coming back to iTunes soon. Within the next few weeks, we'll announce a date for that. But in the meantime, we got a little bit of an expansion for you. A little bit of a, a, a come up, right, Jamar? Oh, no doubt. No doubt. I'm excited about this. Some of you already know what it is because you're listening to us right now. We are on Spotify too, bro. Crazy. We're on Spotify. So now you can listen to us in multiple places. Man, it's going to be dope. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to getting some new analytics. You know, all that podcaster geek nerd talk, man. (laughs) Like uh, me and Bo been like, so what does this mean? And what does that mean? But the digits. Exactly, man. That's so important, man. Behind every digit is a human being. Behind every digit every number is a person. So shout out to you guys for keeping up with us. Um, and even some of you who didn't even know, you're like, I don't even listen by iTunes. So I didn't know, but iTunes put us in jail because someone hacked us, man. So it looked like we were tampering with our global tags and all kind of weird stuff. Um, Targets that only, of yeah. a cyber attack. It's exactly what it is, man. So yeah, it's been pretty crazy, but I'm glad we're back, bro. A lot's changed in the last month. I'm I'm charged up on a, on another account too. A bit of personal news. I passed my comprehensive exam. See, I was getting ready to like do a whole spiel, and I was gonna do the whole my my esteemed co-discutant like Jamar Tisby. <laughs> I'm just I'm just giving big ups to God. Never would have made it. Never would have made. Does Bo know that song? Because he should put that in like right there, just like the organ. <laughs> Definitely not my singing. That would be better. Nah, but I'm trying to figure out if there's ever been a black funeral I've been to where never would have made it, like, wasn't played. <laughs> I'm just trying to think, like, is there, has there ever been one where it's, it's, it hasn't been played? I don't know. We should just go ahead and publish the, the hymnal because there's going to be at least three, four, five songs that, that's at every one. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I shall wear a crown. Never would have made it. Yes, yeah, it's, it's it's interesting, man. But congratulations, brother. I'm so proud of you. So excited for what the Lord is doing in your life. And I'm also 
excited because I know you were stressing out a lot about this behind the scenes. Yeah. You were praying, you were working, you were late sleepless awesome. nights. That brother was texting me at three and four in the morning, like, bro, what do I do? Like, I don't, I'm like, bro, I don't know anything about history. I can't help you out. So I couldn't help you, but you did it on your own, man. That's what's man, up. You got me lifted. So that, that, that was good. Uh, shout out to everybody who prayed for me. Um, and, and I posted this long Twitter thread. Sorry, but I'm not sorry. Anyway. Bruh, like uh, I looked at that Twitter thread. I was like, yo. So I, <laughs> so I was like, why did, what like is this he, man that wrote a novella listen, online? I was like, what is he, what is he threading for? Like, what is it? What is the thread? Like, I was like, oh, I'm going to find out more. And I was like, what is this? Like, it's a 17 tweets. Like, how does this? Keeps going. But the point is, this is education for liberation, right? I didn't get into the PhD hustle for any other reason than to disseminate information that I hope and pray results in transformation. And that sort of leads into the topic today because I'm sort of charged up again. Mm -hmm. I get real, real amped up, man, when people say stuff about race and justice that I just don't think is true. If you look at the biblical record, if you look at the history of the church globally and in America. And so when I see this stuff printed and, and, and shared and, and co-signed by a lot of people and also confusing and troubling and angering a lot of other people, man, I get charged up. Hold up, man. Cause we got to, there's one more thing before we get into that. There's one more big thing that happened in your life. And I'm so excited to be able to tell people about this before we get into the deep, heavy stuff, man. I just want to say that Jamar has fully embraced uncle culture. So Jamar what? has absolutely leaned in. Look, I get this call a couple of weeks ago. I think this was, a, this was actually last week. I get this call last week. He's yeah. like, bruh, like I'm a, I'm a black uncle. Like for real, like uncle, uncle culture is a thing. I'm like, yeah, that's what I was telling you. Like for those of you who don't know, go back and listen to the Atlanta episode. And you'll hear that I basically said Jamar is appropriating uncle culture by how he was dressed, what he was wearing the morning of the ATL show. <laughs> but here's the thing. Then he like basically walks into it. He lives into this. So I was like, man, this dude is an, he's a black uncle. He's like the epitome of what black <laughs> uncles do, how they dress, what they talk look, like, look, how look, they carry themselves, context, the swag. Context here. I was talking to two teenagers and we were in the midst of a family gathering, blah, blah, blah. I'm actually not even related to the, the these um, young people, but uh, I had to, you know, sort of assert some kind of relational dynamic. And the best one that fit was like, uncle. So I'm just telling them, you know, do your work, stay in school. This stuff is important. Don't worry about your friends. Say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't you be chasing them, girl. And I was like, wait Don't you be chasing them. There's plenty of time for that. <laughs> That's that's the uncle voice. Don't you be chasing them girls now. Uh, I still haven't decided about you if if you if it's better cousin Ty or nephew Ty, somewhere around man, there. I'm but just, it's in between, hey, man. I just want to be in the family. Like you know what I'm saying. Like it doesn't matter. Y'all can just as long as I'm in the family, it doesn't matter what you call me. Like hey, look, that's just Ty. I'm your little brother, okay? I'm your little brother, Jamar, but I don't know if I'm everybody's little brother, so I don't know. <laughs> Lean into that. No, no. Okay, anyway, this was about you, okay? <laughs> Let's not get off track, all right? Let's get into this, man, because people have been making some statements. And before we get into these statements, I just want to tell you guys that our intent, our heart, is not to be adversarial. Um, it's not to be divisive, but our heart is to assert places where we believe people may have gone astray. And we believe in particular that certain things ring very close to our personal experience, but also ring very nice. close 
to the heart of the gospel and the heart of God's character. And so we have an opportunity to make some comments on the statement that I'm sure some of you have heard about, and most of you have um, probably interacted with in some way, shape, or form. And it was a statement on social justice and the gospel. Now, this comes on the heels of uh, a number of different blog posts by Dr. John MacArthur, um, who is a well-known teacher, expositor, pastor. And Dr. MacArthur wrote these blog posts about social justice and the church. Um, They were also followed up by sermons as well. And so in the blog post, he basically talks about what he calls a disturbing trend or a surprising shift. Um, And so he makes some comments in regards to what social justice is or isn't in his mind. Also, he makes um, some very strong statements, I guess we could say. Um, And I guess they're, they're best encapsulated in the statement on social justice and the gospel. Now, personally, Jamar, and I don't know about you, I don't know of anyone who is clamoring for a statement to be made. I don't know of anyone who asks, you know, (laughs) I'm confused as to where you guys stand. So can you make it clear? Can you come? I I do know that there is a potential that maybe people within these congregations or churches are interacting with ideas that maybe they hadn't before. And so that might have led to uh, maybe they're expanding to authors, people of color, but potentially, I mean, theologians who um, aren't of Anglo descent. And so they may be introduced to things that they haven't been introduced to before um, through maybe some of the scholarship on reformed blogs or any sort of podcast. Maybe it's our podcast. Maybe it's other people on Twitter who have been talking. And so personally, I just don't know who was, I don't know who was confused. I don't know who wanted to know where they stood on this or who was confused um, as to where they stood on this. That's just me personally, Jamar. Maybe you can say something. That is a huge point. I think by and large, this statement is creating enemies and villains in the camp where there are none. So to be sure that there are people who have very different theological beliefs and how that plays out on a horizontal level looks extremely different. Um, And maybe there's a conversation there. I mean, we just got back from Courageous Conversations. It was a great dialogue with people from across the theological spectrum. Yes. But that's I want to save that. Shout out to Lisa Fields and Jude 3, by the way. But I yeah. want to save that because I do want to talk about that at the end. But go ahead. Right. Well, I, all I'm saying is that's not who they were aiming at. They were taking shots across the bow to people who should be allies. And so they're creating this is this is a deeper conversation and maybe we'll get into it. But this is how fundamentalism operates is it plays on fear. It creates followers based on fear. That's how fundamentalism operates. And so I think this is a prime example of that. Let's go into the statement, parts of the statement, just brief um, sections and you guys can Google it and find it and all that good stuff. But speaking on that concern, kind of extending what you were saying there, the introduction says specifically we are deeply concerned that values borrowed from secular culture are currently undermining scripture in the areas of race and ethnicity, manhood and womanhood, and human sexuality. Now, what's interesting to me about that statement is that um, there has already been a statement regarding human sexuality that a lot of these authors signed, um, the the Nashville statement, I believe. So I'm confused as to where human sexuality just found itself in there in the midst of race and ethnicity, and then manhood and womanhood, what is what's being aimed at here? And that was one of the most confusing parts because I, I was thinking in in my head, um, they've already made that clear. So why why rehash what you've already made clear in the statement? Does that make sense? I mean, yeah, absolutely. I had the same question. Is like it, it was called 
uh, something about gospel and social justice. A sta- the statement. Let's 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 pause there because it's not an indefinite article. A <laughs> statement that is true on the that gospel and social justice. It is the definite article. The statement. Which which is already asserting power. Let's not forget power in this conversation, okay? Jamar, Jamar. So <laughs> already, saying. it's only a couple minutes in. Really, like it hit me, ahead, right? Like I, I I was trying to write this article and reference this statement, and I'm like, I tried to write it from memory. I'm like, surely it's a statement on the gospel. Nope, it's the, which is it's these initial writers and signatories asserting the power to define theological orthodoxy, mm. which and- is all through this. And then and then on top of that, I'm like, if it's a statement, the statement, according to them, on the gospel and social justice, why isn't it just about that? Instead, they couch it in everything from like the authority of scripture to, you know, sin and salvation, all of this yeah, stuff. We, we got to talk about that. Again, to again, assert orthodoxy. And I'm like, that's not really what you care about. What you care about is your angle on social justice and refuting it, apparently. Mm-hmm. But then you couch it in all this other stuff to make it look like, well, this is just defending, you know, Christian doctrine against heresy. I'm like, oh, for for an example, for an example, when we say we are a black Christian collective, that was very intentional. We had a conversation about what we were talking about when we said a black Christian collective, because we we recognize that according to even this statement, the people who signed some of the people who signed the statement are black Christians. And as professing professing black Christians ourselves, we do not claim to have cornered the market on black Christianity. We're just simply saying we are a collective of black Christians. And so the A and the B to me does make a difference. Now, as we go on, you mentioned they talk about scripture. Um, Interesting statement. We further deny that competency, and this is again a direct quote, we further deny that competency to teach on any biblical issue comes from any qualification for spiritual people other than clear understanding and simple communication of what is revealed in scripture. Clear understanding and simple communication of what is revealed in scripture. Now, for me, again, this is just for me, there seems to be um, a opening for what clear and simple actually may mean. Okay. Uh-huh. So when you say clear and simple, I push back only to say that that language makes it seem as though you have perfectly understood or in some way, shape, or form have a deeper grasp on clear and simple than your counterparts might. Here's another statement that I hear often in these circles. No one with any sense of logic or reason would ever believe that. What does that mean? Hmm. What does that mean and why are you saying that? And why are you saying that particularly about yourself in defense of yourself? Uh, we can get into that a little bit later. Any thoughts on this, Jamar? Um, because wow. I, I think you know, you're know you getting a doctorate in history. And so I was shocked that there were no historians here. And I'm shocked that there's, <laughs> there's not a lot of citations here. I just, you know, I understand it's a statement. But you're not really shocked. No, but I'm just saying there, there, there are a couple of things, even within the blogs, I believe John MacArthur said at one point, and I'll look for this quote uh, when you start talking, but he said at one point that things have dramatically changed in the country or the attitude of the country is not as it once was. And so I was like, man, wh- where's the citation? Like, is there, is there a study? Is there science? Because right then you're not giving necessarily commentary on the Bible. You're making a commentary through your own uh, judgment and through your own That's social right. understanding of what bad right. was and what good is now, right? Yes, yes, yes. And, and when I read that, I didn't say, Lord, I said, Lord, 
L-A-W-D. Um, there's a lot in that statement. <laughs> there was a lot. It's, Come on. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, all theology is contextualized. And one of the biggest blunders of this statement is to take a posture, whether intentional or unintentional, that the readers of Scripture, particularly the authors of this statement, are contextual. They're decontextual. They don't have a context. And so that they can approach the Bible with just a clear and simple understanding, as if it's not affected by their Westernness, their Americanness, their racialness, their economic status. Like, like, like that doesn't affect where we're located in the world and therefore how we experience the world subjectively, which is not to say, as many opponents will assert, that there is no such thing as absolute truth or that absolute truth cannot be discovered. But particularly on this issue of social justice, where injustice affects different groups differently, then one must be very careful to pay attention to one's own social, cultural, historical location, which makes the absence, it seems to me in the statement, there was an absence of any historical input, very noticeable. And so um, just to frame it a little bit, John MacArthur did a three-part blog post I think it was series. I think it was like six parts. Well, he in, in, in the introduction, he said it was going to be, but I only found three parts totals. So I don't know if he changed his mind or what. If there's more out there, by all means, let us know. In that series, I think it was called uh, something about injustice, the gospel and injustice, something like that. Um, social injustice he, and the gospel. Yes, social injustice and the gospel. There's a very interesting framing in the title. Um, he says this is this is a new thing happening. When the reality is, especially if you look at the vector of the white church and the black church, predominantly speaking, this has always been the conversation. Mm-hmm. In fact, the reason why there is a black church and continues to be a black church to this day can largely, not exclusively, but largely be attributed to different views on justice and how to approach it as the church and as Christians. Hmm. So this is not something new that's happening. It may be something new on his radar, well, let, but that's a fundamentally ahistorical statement to make. Well, let's keep going. This is something new. Because I think this is yes. really important because there, there's more here, not just on the scripture front, not just an introduction, but then they go on to talk about heresy. Um, I, again, I, okay, uh, I'll just read it. And I quote, we affirm that the accusation of heresy should be reserved for those departures from Christian truth that destroy the weight bearing doctrines of the redemptive core of scripture. We affirm that accusations of heresy should be accompanied with clear evidence of such destructive beliefs. Okay. Clear evidence of such destructive beliefs. Now let's move on to race and ethnicity. Race and ethnicity, they say we reject any teaching that encourages racial groups to view themselves as privileged oppressors or entitled victims of oppression. While we are to weep with those who weep, we deny that a person's feelings of offense or oppression necessarily prove that someone else is guilty of sinful behaviors, oppression, or prejudice. Jamar, 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 Jamar. (laughs) You start. I think what is uh, concerning about the framing of this statement is that the words that were used specifically for quote unquote victims of oppression is entitled, entitled victims of oppression. 
There's a sense in which Christianity has a very low American Christianity, uh, particularly in the South, particularly in conservative circles, particularly in reform circles, has a very low sense of understanding of what it means to right a wrong. If something has been done that wrongs a person, sin against a person, what is the extent to which we should go to correct said sin? And what is the fallout of the sin and how does our response to the fallout of the sin and the sin itself line up with the character and nature of God? And so to me, as soon as someone uses the word entitled, I start to think they get the word entitled from someone and from some sense of framework. I've seen people uh, quote certain conservative scholars. I've seen people use certain arguments that seem eerily akin and eerily similar um, to people who aren't necessarily even uh, believers, but would consider themselves conservative politically or have some sort of social stance that would be against uh, the invasion of the left, as they would say. You can name names, man. Just name them. No, I mean, I, you know, we know Thomas Sowell, John McWhorter, um, yeah. people that yeah. I grew up reading, which is something that's very interesting in and of itself, because I think the lack of, of way of, of, of charitably characterizing a side that you disagree with, which we'll get into a little bit later, is something that to me is lacking in the discussion. And it's shocking because as Christians, we should be known for our charity and we should be known for charitably saying, hey, look, as you said in your your article, we're not saying these people aren't following Christ, but what we do say is the way in which they're characterizing these things probably falls outside of what we would say and probably is wrong. But hey, we we don't disrespect them. We don't demean them. We don't berate them. We don't attack their dignity. And I think by using the words entitled victims of oppression, that sounds like conservative code for uh, what one person has said in one of his responses to us and some others, the black leadership, <laughs> um, who, I, again, I, I don't know who the black leadership is, but the black leadership, the, the people, the black people, the pastors who, who all black people listen to and rally around. Um, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make one more, I'm going to read one more quote and then I'll come back to you and you can make your comments on all this together. Uh, culture, this was probably the most, uh, incendiary one, the one that jumped out to me. We affirm that some cultures operate on assumptions that are inherently better than those of other cultures because of the biblical truths that inform those worldviews that have produced these distinct assumptions. Jamar, hop in. So that strikes me as ethnocentric is the word I would use to describe it. Uh-oh, you're, and- you're calling them names, Jamar. You're calling them <laughs> names. I just said the statement is ethnocentric. Exactly. I said nothing about their motives. Anyway, um, it first of all, it's code, right? It's code for Western civilization, which anybody who's homeschooled knows there's this thing called classical education or private school, uh, private Christian school. There's this thing called classical education, which which is based upon mostly Western civilization and its history and philosophy is what they explicitly teach. And, and, and in that statement that you just read, Tyler, is this assumption. Now, they don't state it, okay? I'm, say, I'm saying this is how these statements have been used in the past to say cultures. And, and that word inherently is, is very interesting. But very tricky, very tricky. Like who, yes. who, gets to, who gets to decide what is inherent? 
the, right. the culture that's, so a, that's a, established what is inherency in, in the beginning, right? Like, so it's the culture that wins. Like, the culture that wins gets to decide what's inherent. You look power, okay? Um, so, so all I'm saying is, number one, it usually applies to Western culture, and by Western culture, they generally mean European or Euro American culture. So we're talking about white people, right? In terms of theology and philosophy. As what's Generally. being promoted as, as you know, superior, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Um, so, so we got to recognize that level, but then it gets to what you were saying, Tyler, as far as who gets to decide. And that goes back to, listen, having a social, cultural, historical location is not necessarily a negative. It's a negative if you don't recognize that you have a culture and then you proceed to make pronouncements as if your standards are the universal transcendent norms, as if you can analyze scripture apart from any sort of bias. Now, honestly, recognizing that you have biases can be a strength, right? Like Mm -hmm. I recognize that as an African-American male, I've experienced the world and particularly America in a certain way. Now, some of that I can leverage for insight. Some of that I need to rely on my brothers and sisters in Christ and uh, in the broader academy to help me fill out those blind spots. But when you don't recognize you have a culture, what you're doing is failing to recognize that you have blind spots right. and acknowledge that and then try to rely on others to help you there. So I think that statement that you read is case in point of that. And the last point I'll say on that particular statement is since cultures tend to fall along racial and ethnic lines, I mean, there's a lot that we can say about culture from an anthropological and a sociological and even a historical perspective. It's no, there's no pure sort of static culture, right? right? Mm-hmm. But um, in general, different people groups tend to practice similar culture so that when you say an inc- a culture is inherently more godly, more righteous, or quote unquote, better than another, and you're saying another culture is inferior or less godly or, or, or wicked, then what you're also implying Maybe not without, maybe without intention. I'm not talking about your, your, your intentions here, but what you're doing is in raising up or putting down a culture is putting down those people within that culture. And that falls often along racial and ethnic lines and that we need to avoid. One final statement, racism. uh, They say we deny that systemic racism is in any way compatible with the core principles of historic evangelical convictions um, we deny that the Bible can be legitimately used to foster or justify partiality, prejudice, or contempt toward other ethnicities. We deny that the contemporary evangelical movement has any deliberate agenda to elevate one ethnic group and subjugate another. Um, and we emphatically deny that lectures on social issues or activism aimed at reshaping the wider culture are as vital to the life and health of the church as the preaching of the gospel and the exposition of scripture. Um, here's the interesting thing. When they say we deny that the Bible can be legitimately used to foster or justify partiality, prejudice, or contempt toward other ethnicities, I initially have a very strong reaction to that, but I don't exactly know what they mean. I don't know if they mean that using the way in which slave masters used the Bible was unjust or illegitimate, or if they would defend the way in which slave masters used the Bible and just say that, well, it was maybe the providence of God that allowed them um, to remain in that position of power over and against the culture um, of my ancestors. I, I don't know which one they mean. 
Um, I, I also have one question, and that is when they say we deny that the contemporary evangelical movement has any deliberate agenda to elevate one ethnic group and subjugate another, I, I would love to hear them explain, well, then how is it that it's so white? Like, how is it so, how, how did we get here? Like, what, what happened? How is it so white? Yeah. Like, I just want to know, and, like, just very directly, like, how did we get here and why is there a disparity? And is there a way to do that and explain the massive ethnic difference within evangelicalism and particularly within the reform tribe, which a lot of these men come from? Uh, how do we explain it without some sort of uh, cultural bias in the sense of saying, well, it's their culture. It's their culture. So they've created some sort of subtext with the culture statement yes. and then follow yes. through with it in the next by saying, well, we deny that we had anything, any intentional agenda to do this. And yes. we deny that the Bible could even be used to do this. So how did it happen? Like, what's going All on right, here? So like, we- I, w- I want to know the explanation. <laughs> and again, that gets me down to why did no historian sign this? Why are there no <laughs> of the initial signers? Like, who is able to say, well, you know, at this point in time, they did use portions of the scripture to make men and women think that they were less than, they did use portions of the scripture to say that the curse of Ham extends to black and brown bodies. Like they did use that. Like that is something that happened. So we can't necessarily say it, it hasn't been used, or we can't say that there was any, there was no intentional agenda because some people did. Or are they saying right. that they know all the people within the white evangelical culture and they can vouch for them? To say that there is no intentional agenda in people I don't know. <laughs> how does this work? Like, how does this even work? Like, from from a cognitive standpoint, how can you say we deny that there's any intentionality here? There could be, and you just maybe haven't met them. So, I think from the most charitable perspective, they're saying that the Bible shouldn't be used to reinforce racism, bigotry, separation, right? Um, and so from the most, I, I don't know what this that is. what they said, though. No, I'm just saying like, yo, you, saying, you, you wrote I'm a statement. Saying, so I'm just saying, if we, we deny <laughs> that the Bible can be, not, not should be, can be yes. legitimately used. So what I'm saying okay. is, okay, well, maybe that's what you meant. That's not what you said, though. Yes. I, and I'm saying that perhaps what they meant is sort of this idea from James 2 about showing partiality and, and, and that actually being committing sin. And so they're, I'm assuming... Yeah, oh, that's I'm fair. That's saying, that's fair. That's charitable of you, and be. maybe that's maybe you're right, <laughs> and that's charitable. Um, so I'll I'll take a step back. I'm still but, wondering how it happened. Yes, yes, because when you look at history, of course, the Bible has been used to justify all kinds of unbiblical, anti-biblical, anti-humanity uh, p- positions. Before that is certainly true, and that word deliberate, they use that word deliberate. Is very interesting to me because to me that hardly matters. It matters some. I want to know if you're intentionally using scripture to discriminate racially and ethnically. But (laughs) there's also the idea of intent versus impact, which I cannot reiterate enough. So oftentimes the defense against racism is to say, well, I didn't mean to X, Y, Z, right? But anybody who's been in a relationship, a friendship, a marriage, what uh, sports, whatever, knows that intent counts for only so much. What matters is the impact. That's why apologies that say, well, I'm sorry for whoever may have felt angry or upset. I'm sorry that you felt that way. That rings hollow, doesn't it? Yeah. Because it's like, but you're not recognizing your responsibility in causing or evoking that sentiment. 
Right. And that matters. It's a sin of omission. Whatever right? your whether, intention Whether or not you intend it to commit it, it's a sin of omission. Exactly. Exactly. Right? Like if I, if I, if I go to your house and I knock over a lamp, it may have been an accident, but guess what? That lamp is still broken. So the impact is still there. <laughs> I'm right? sorry that you feel bad about your lamp, Jamar. <laughs> so, you know, let's get off this intent. I didn't mean to be racist. I didn't mean it that way. Okay, great. But it still had that impact, right? So that, that, that word deliberate is very interesting in there. And then lastly, my goodness, have we not talked ad nauseum about systemic and institutional racism? And this is this is the one thing I'll add. Um, I was reading something and it so, just sort of um, struck me as a thought. A lot of folks in the racial majority, white folks, white Christians will say, well, I didn't own slaves. I wasn't a segregationist. I didn't do these historic evil acts. So why black people, white allies, whomever, are you calling me? or us today in 2018 to take responsibility for this. And what I would say in response to that is a lot of things, but one thing in particular is, well, I didn't cause racism either as a black person, but I'm still experiencing the effects, the negative effects. And because I'm experiencing the negative effects of racism, I have to do something. I have to act. And if I, the the recipient of bigotry, am compelled to act, Ought not the group, and I'm not saying you as an individual, but ought not the group that historically has held power and enforced a racial hierarchy not also feel a similar compulsion to act as well? Yeah, man, nothing that we experience today, like we're the direct originators of. <laughs> like nothing. Like nobody's like, oh, well, my free speech, like we we actually were there and we like fought for that. Like that's just it doesn't work in any other area of life. Like nothing that we did today, um, nothing that we experienced today is something that we directly did with our own hands. Like there are rules that have been set up in this world that we had nothing to do with. Like where we live, how we live, speed limits, like all these things, most of them we had nothing to do with them. And so now it's like, well, you know, I didn't directly do it. Yeah, well, you didn't directly experience um or directly create some of the benefits and blessings that you experienced today. But you still experience them and you happy about them. Like all these freedoms you talk about, you weren't there to fight for them. Like, but you still claim them, right? Like, I mean, come on, man. Like, I just, I don't understand that, that whole defense. Like if you experience the blessings of something, then in some way, shape or form, you could also experience the blessing of something that came on the backs of someone else. And you can at least acknowledge that. We're not saying you got to do a, a, you know, sackcloth and ashes, Although it should be good, you should be good to lament with that. I mean, you know, we we could lament at least there were no there was really no lament here, um, which was fascinating to me because I thought it was a great opportunity for that. But listen, we're not saying you gotta you know grovel at our feet and apologize every five seconds. Like that's not what we're asking for. Um, but what I would say is you can at least acknowledge that there is something that happened long before you got here that you are experiencing, you are the beneficiary of in any way, shape or form. Uh, moving on, well, Jamar. Let, let, me, let, me just, let me just jump in on a similar, uh, a distinct but related topic is this idea of victimization. A lot of folks- When was the um, last time, hold up, when was the last time someone looked at you and be like, Jamar, you are a victim? Like when was, when the, was last the last time, time I looked, looked at myself like that? <laughs> when was the last time like someone actually told you like, yo, you are a victim, fam. Like, who, like, is there some mentality that we are just sitting around and we are like directly telling our people, like, you are victims? 
like you that's guys the narrative. Are <laughs> like, where yeah. is that? Like, where did that happen? Yeah, like, were you sitting in a barbershop or a beauty salon somewhere surrounded by black folks, and somebody said, "Hey, man, I was just thinking, bro, we're victims." <laughs> Like I'm just trying to figure. I'm just trying to understand. Like, where did this come from? Like, who told y'all this? Like, and then for the black people on there who assigned it, like, yo, who told y'all? Didn't even say like, oh no, that's true. Y'all were like, yeah. And and here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, there is a sense in which we're victims, in the sense that we are recipients of injustice. So any recipient of injustice is a victim of injustice, right? But that doesn't mean. You take on an entire identity. Yeah, like we as just got a, a complex, like ah, right. you know, it's right. like what? Like, that's what people that's what folks like who agree with this statement seem to think is that every time we call out racism or talk about it or say there's an ongoing issue, well, you're just playing the victim or you're letting people brainwash you into thinking that all you are is a victim. Please. First of all, <laughs> you ain't in my head. Yeah, okay? like you you like <laughs> magically like know exactly my what I'm saying here. Like you magically right. know what I'm thinking. And 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 look, calling out racism isn't griping as if there's we're inflating something that isn't there. It's there. We see it every day another young black man shot in his own apartment my goodness right like just living while black in america can be fatal yeah like no matter where you're about that like where where the statement about like and this dude was a believer like this dude was that's it that's your clue right there if there's no lament in the statement about injustice why would i trust it why would i trust them to actually be for me and understand the situation if there's not like a lament and not Exactly. Not like a, oh, well, you know, we know this is bad, but here's what we're saying. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? <laughs> like we hurting with you lament. Where was that? So and, Jamal, and if you don't lead with that, bruh, we got an issue. Bruh. Okay. This is going to be a long podcast. I'm saying So <laughs> we I'm got just, a lot I'm to just, cover. Look, I'm just adjusting in my seat. Like I'm just adjusting in my seat. I'm like, all right. So here we are. Your, but look, we got to talk about some things because here's the thing. Here's the thing. And you said this is we have not directly responded to much. Yeah, we for a long, long time. Man, Jamar, you gonna make me? You want me? Be, okay, all right. Let me let okay. me just say this. Let me just let me just say this. Let me just say this. Our ministry is not a ministry of responding and reacting to critics. Right? That's just not what we've necessarily done. Like, so we're not just sitting up being like. We're going to have this like polemic for everybody who disagrees with us. Um, we're going to debate people. There are people who criticize us and their entire ministry is debate. Like their entire <laughs> thing is we just yes. going to debate people. We just going to get up and we're going to call out what's wrong. And this is, this is what's going on in the culture. This is what we need to debate. This is who I'm debating this week. And I'm like, man, that's, that's cool. That's your ministry. That's never been our ministry. Our ministry has been a representation. It's always been to respond to faithfully and represent what would be the core concerns of black Christians. That's, that's why we exist. It's not to respond to every single person that would say something that we're like, man, this person being unfaithful with the gospel. So we got to challenge them and we got to do it. It's like, yo, no, where there are popular instances of that, where there are things that black Christians are already naturally talking about, then that's what we talk about because we want to give a biblical response to that but not to every single critic and every single person. And so 
it's just this mentality of like, man, we got to get into a culture war with these people. We don't have to get into a culture war with these people. And sometimes it's just really frustrating. I'm like, man, yo, why? Why yes. do y'all expect us to do this? Like people are like, man, bring this person on. Your, why? Why? Why would we bring them on? <laughs> we bring them on our show. Like this is about the core concerns of, of black Christians. This is about what black Christians are talking about. And I saw more than five or six or seven double digit black pastors who are not a part of our theological tribe per se talking about this statement. Yeah. So this yeah. is something we have to address. This is something that hurts people. This is something that people respond into. So we at least at some point in time have to address this. But I mean, we just don't respond to individuals like that. We just don't yeah, call let's... names and be like that. You know, the only other time we've done that it's been within our tribe because we feel we have a necessity. Um, we feel we have a requirement, a responsibility, uh, especially in my tribe as a as a you know charismatic believer. Man, there are some people who went to the White House and they did something that hurt a lot of people in our community. And so I felt, man, I know some of these people, so I need to respond to this. If I can call out random people, can't call out my own. Come on, man. Like, so that's what it was. It was a, a, off of a fidelity. It was off of, man, we need to maintain tribal understanding and fidelity here because people are getting a misrepresentation of what we stand for. But man, yeah. like, come Look, on. Bro. We need to, in this world, this information age and the social media age where anybody can sort of express their opinion, whether it's right or wrong, informed or not informed. We have to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And so being wise about this thing, we got to recognize that there are some people and some entities that seek to elevate their platform by challenging, opposing and confronting others. <laughs> yeah. And we see much that often. Much more eloquent than I can say. Much more eloquent. <laughs> I had time to process what you were saying. I take in all your wisdom and like, oh, that's good. Um, but we have been the recipients of that often, of people essentially trying to make a name for themselves by doing everything they can to discredit our name as an organization or as individuals. And guess what, brothers and sisters? They're out to do the same thing to you or to the people you admire or to the thoughts that you express. And so not every statement needs a response. And that's been our stance, especially since we made this transition to the witness in October 2017. And so what we wanted to do partially with that shift was to make sure that we are not primarily a reactive ministry, that we're just looking at what white evangelicals or white reform folks do, and then we respond. Because then that centers our entire identity on what this other group of people does. Our identity is in Christ, and we can be black folks and Christians. And so we can pay attention to the core concerns of black people and black Christians in the right. midst of that, which looks different. And partially, it looks like not responding to every single thing. But as Tyler mentioned, this statement had ripple effects far beyond a narrow swath of American Christians. It, it, it had ripple effects beyond our particular Christian tribes and even to non-Christians. And our name, The Witness, is taken advisedly because we are actually very concerned about the gospel's representation in the broader culture. Absolutely. And when we see other people getting an impression of what Christianity is or what the gospel is or what it means to be a Christian in this day and age, that is not what we understand to be biblical, then we try to speak up about it. But not everything. And I say this because if you're listening, you don't have to respond to everything either. Yeah. And by the yes. way, yes, a, I, I've gotten statements that, well, it would look better 
or the perception would be better if you did respond. And I simply say, we have this little website called thewitnessbcc.com <laughs> right. where we have literally hundreds, hundreds of articles this talking about these issues. We have this little podcast that you're listening to right now called Pass the Mic, where we literally have hundreds of issues talking about similar concepts and themes. So it's not as if we haven't addressed the issues, yeah. is that we may not respond in this particular instance because we already have responded. So access the material. You got a computer in your hand yeah, with Google. your smartphone Google or your laptop, man. So go for it. So, okay. I'm <laughs> to get that off. Listen, let's go ahead and address this because I hear this a lot. Like, man, are you going to dialogue with the other side? Yo, let's do a part one and part two. Like end this one and just pick up on the next one. Cause we got a lot to talk about. I want to talk about, I want to zoom out and talk about sort of the, the theological arrogance of this entire statement that completely disregards black ecclesiology and not just black ecclesiology, any minority, right? Any yeah, minority group. Yeah. I want to talk about the gender dynamic. How many women signed that? How many women were the initial signatories? Yeah, I, before we get into all that, like, yo, we'll be on a part two. This episode was brought to you in part by United We Pray. United We Pray is a podcast devoted to praying and thinking about racial strife, especially between Christians. Come join us in praying for the unity of God's people.